0: Hey, good morning, everybody. My name's Chad, uh, one of the pastors here at Pleasant Valley Church. We are still doing virtual church online, um, but but we have a change coming soon, and I'm going to do a video tomorrow uh, announcing some of our plans uh, for when we believe we're going to attempt to begin having live services again. And it's sooner than later. So super excited about that, but be looking for that tomorrow. Uh, I want to pray for us. I want to ask the Lord uh, to open our hearts to his word, uh, to ground us in his truth, uh, that the spirit would, uh, we would just sense the Holy Spirit in our homes right now, wherever you are, or maybe you're watching this later in the week, that you would just know that he's there. And that he wants to encourage you and lift you up. And so pray with me. Feel comfortable. Hold your hands out like this. Uh, Let's ask the Lord to meet us. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, that you have paid it all. The debt that we owed, that we couldn't pay back, you've paid it all. And Lord, we can come with confidence today. We can boldly approach the throne of grace we have been invited in And God, we say that today your truth, your word, your name are all that we need. Would you minister to us? Would you give us hope? Lord, we're we're wanting to know about our future, our hope in you. Would you encourage us through your words today? God, would your spirit minister to our hearts? And we ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So i if you know anything about me, if you're around me, probably even for a week or a month, uh, and you can ask anybody around here, uh, I'm fascinated by history and particularly one time period, uh, and that's World War II. And I don't know why I was so drawn to it as a kid. Uh, Just wanting to understand how everything went. I remember being, remember being at my great uncle's house and he served in the Pacific and my grandfather was in the European theater. And so I saw pictures. I just wondered about those things. Tom Broco called that generation, the greatest generation. And so that's cool. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. But immediately I started thinking about me and my generation Uh, If you look at my office and I've got a picture here to show you, I have a poster on the wall and it's behind the door, but I see it every day. And it says this, there was a time when the world asked ordinary men to do extraordinary things. And you could say ordinary women as well, because they were back home, um, keeping everything going and building all of the weapons and things that were used overseas. Um, A time when the world asked ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And I look at that, and for a while I used to struggle with my identity and my place in history. And I would ask questions like, Lord, why wasn't I born around that time? when people were a part of the greatest generation. And I'm not at all uh, trying to say that war isn't ugly or that there's a perfectly righteous nation enacting acting. That it's far from it. We know that. Uh, there's, there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of difficulties. And there's a lot of awful things that happen in war. War happens because of sin. But I was asking those questions. And Lord, why wasn't I born then? Why did you choose for me to be born in 1972? And man, what did I get? I got vanilla ice in the 90s. <laughs> it's like, what am I doing? Like, what is great about this? But then I look to God's word and I look to the way he sees history and the way he sees our time here. And I believe this, and I want to say it to you today as well. You were supposed to be born and live during this time. 2020, you were supposed to be alive during some of the greatest crises that we have seen in a long time. Now, I know that's debatable. Some would say COVID-19, there's maybe a conspiracy there, or whatever. But we know it's a worldwide thing that's affecting everybody, at least mentally, obviously physically. There's a lot going on. What's true? What's happening? We know it's affected us though, don't we? From an economic standpoint. And then we have also experienced in the last few weeks. A reminder, not of something new, but of something that's been around since Cain and Abel. Of discrimination, of hatred, of the evil and sin of saying somebody else isn't as good as you. Discrimination, racism. And we haven't really liked that. It's hard. But as I've thought about it, and I know it's also, I've heard this too. People have said, man, it's going to be awful for the children. Like your kids are going to have the worst life ever. (laughs) Like, and it's easy for us to think like the future of our children and our children's children is bleak. And to be like, whoa, we just got to get out of here. Yet from heaven's perspective, God's eternal plan, this is exactly when we're supposed to be alive. And not just so we can bide our time. Acts 17, which isn't going to be our passage for today, but I was reading in my chair the other day, and it says this, he, God made from one man, Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. And listen to this phrase, having determined allotted periods of time and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Right there. God has determined the allotted period of time that you will be alive on this earth, where you would live. But Why? And here's how Paul finishes it. Paul was actually witnessing to some people in Athens. And here's what he said, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. So what does that tell us? God has picked this time for you to be alive so that you will find him. But also for those who have found him to know that there's a really important reason we're here. And what might this time be like? What kinds of things might happen to us during our fixed appointed time periods of living on the earth? Jesus, can you tell us what we might experience? Well, I want you to listen to him today in Matthew chapter five, because he's kind of telling the disciples, hey, here's what it's gonna be like for you to follow me and to live during this time. Matthew five, verse 11 listen to Jesus say, here's what might happen to you in your designated time on earth. And he says this, you should consider yourself blessed or happy when others revile you, persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. First thing I want you to notice is that Jesus doesn't say, if you will experience this, he says, when you do experience it, you're going to be reviled. People are going to speak against you. They're going to say untrue things. They're going to say evil things about you. It will be dark and it will seem like it's getting darker. And before we get to the obvious response of what he asks us to do, how he asks us to respond, I want us to hear this underlying truth. There's always layers and the spirit works through his word of what in the world is going on in the world. And it's this, it's supposed to be dark out there. It's supposed to be dark. Jesus has just given the most astonishing message. He stood on this hillside in Galilee, speaking to the disciples. We know that because it says he saw the crowds and he said, I'm going up to the mountain. And the disciples came to him. So many times crowds were the people who were kind of interested in him, but not following. Lots of times he would leave them and then he would speak to the disciples. So the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, the blessed passages were spoken to a smaller group of people, to to followers of his And the things that he says to them are not things that we would say, yeah, that's awesome. What does he say? He says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble, the meek, the merciful, the peacemakers. And the disciples weren't like, (laughs) woohoo. Like they weren't excited about those things. It was kind of odd. What do you mean? You're kind of flipping everything, Jesus. That's not how we see the world. And if we keep things just on the surface, when we hear his words, like if we don't actually dig deeper to understand the underlying meaning, we're going to miss what he's saying because he's not saying poor in possessions or, but he's saying poor in spirit, the willingness to admit I have spiritual bankruptcy. There's a difference, not hungry for food, but hungry and thirsty for righteousness not peacemakers of worldly peace, but peace that can only come through the messianic reign of the prince of peace. Meekness of spirit and humility, the kind that says, I know I am in deep need. And apart from Jesus, it's not going to work. What's Jesus doing here? Trying to talk to them about life and how things are going to be. What's he doing? What is he saying with his words? He's continuing to establish their utter dependence on him. You don't just say, yeah, Jesus, I love you. I want to go to heaven. Boom, it's all done. He is weaving and knitting and pulling and drawing them in, establishing utter dependence on him. That nothing in their life, and I'll just say nothing in our life, my life, your life, they will never get where they need to go without Jesus. So when he gets to this last part, the whole part about the reviling and persecuting and difficult things, he already has them. He's got their hearts, he's ready. And they're saying, even though this is really hard, we're ready to go with you, Jesus. We will follow you because why would this happen? Why would he allow this to happen? Why is the world dark? Why can't Jesus just snap his fingers and boom, it's all over, it's all light, everything is solved, all this. It's precisely because the world is in the mess that it is because it is dark and sin that gets darker and darker that Jesus says, I'm sending you, I'm sending you in. And when he puts us in that battle and the stuff starts flying and he tells us when it flies, rejoice, be blessed, understand that this is a good thing. Hmm. Why? (laughs) Why? Why? That doesn't seem fun. I've said this before, but I'll I'll keep asking this question. Have you ever wondered, for those who have said yes to Jesus, why you aren't just whisked away to heaven once you accept him? Oh, got another one. Oh, there goes another one. Man, Lord, you're just pulling people into heaven. Why are we still here? It's because we're on mission. It's because he wants other people to know, and he set it up that we will be the ones delivering that message doesn't mean that we won't be shaking in our boots a little bit when we look at the darkness of the world. I know I have been. I'm watching and reading just like you. And I'll tell you, I have just said, this is just a little too much. What happens when this stuff makes it to my city? What happens when it creeps into my neighborhood? What happens when it's at my door? The wheels in my head and heart are just spinning wildly. Why is that? Well, I don't see everything the way God sees everything. It's easy to be afraid. When I don't stay grounded in the gospel and in his word, it's easy to become cynical. It's easy to get discouraged, given to doubts. Darkness does that. Darkness does that. And it's also natural in our flesh to want to hide Let's just hold out with everybody who already knows Jesus and maybe he'll come back soon. Maybe we won't have to deal with this too much longer. You see, when it's dark, you aren't very confident about the light or what it means to carry the light or what it means to shine the light or when somebody else seems to be trying to redefine now what the light is. And no, it's not that anymore. It has to be this. You got to do this. There's new things added to the gospel. I'm so confused. Lord, simplify it for me. We start to think things like this. You know the reason it's gotten so bad out there? It's because everybody's rejected God and they're all just going to hell in a handbasket. So what can I do better just to round up the troops? Honey, get the kids. We're going to hide. Let's move to the hills. Feels better, doesn't it? Feels easy to make that conclusion. So Jesus doesn't even get close to that. He actually is somehow combining blessing and happiness with us sharing the gospel and people hating us for it. How's that work? Here's what I think he would say to us. Darkness needs light. Darkness needs the light and I am sending you in. You know those people out there? They haven't just decided to all of a sudden reject me. They And by the way, you were born rejecting me. Do you know you didn't have to learn how to sin? Yes, there's stuff that we get learned behavior and environments that we're in that maybe are like gasoline thrown on those fires that are burning in us, but they're burning from birth. That's what scripture tells us. I think he would also say some things to us about our country. And let me just be bold. And you guys have already known, you've heard me speak. I love this place. I love the greatest generation and thinking about what it took to get us here. But here's what I think he would say to us about the United States of America. I think he would say, your country is wonderful. It's wonderful. I helped get it there. I put those ideas in those guys' heads when they were writing those founding documents. That whole part about all people being created equal. Yeah, yeah. I put that in there. I nudged in that direction. There are amazing truths in your country's founding, but guess what? This isn't a theocracy. I'm not the leader of America. I'm the king of kings. And my kingdom is not of this world. Those people out there, the ones you're afraid of, the ones you think are beyond hope, I want them. I died for them. So, if you're like me, and this is how I react to the Lord sometimes when I'm talking, when we're praying, and that's what prayer is you're just talking to Him. I'll say, You really want them, Jesus? Fine, you can have them. Just don't ask me to do anything because I don't really like them. Oops, Chad, you just threw out the Great Commission. You just threw out the reason you're here, the mission of the church. It's why you're still on the planet and it's why it's a battle and it's why it won't be easy. They're going to say things. They're going to not like you. They're going to revalue you. I'm sending you in. Chad, you want a D-Day? Here you go. And I think it's a message to the church. I think it's a message to us. This is why we're here. This is why we've been born. If we want to see things clearly and stay on mission, this book needs to be our lens. The gospel, what Jesus has done, needs to be our lens because then we can look under the spiritual skin of the world to understand why things are the way they are. And it'll allow us to see what the future holds for those who belong to Jesus, who said yes to him, who've already bowed the knee. But, and this is the second part we can't leave out. It will also let you see those who are not part of his kingdom who need to be and why he has you in their life. As you've watched this stuff on TV, have you thought to pray for the people whom you're really mad at and angry at? Have you thought to ask that God would soften their hearts? So I, I can be tender in my heart and I would say, okay, 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 Jesus, rah, I hear you. It's just difficult to process what you're saying. <laughs> Understatement, right? Just difficult to process what you're saying. I know we've got to go and I got to get over the fact that I don't really like or honestly love people who aren't following you. The cool thing is we can ask him, but can you help me with that? He's like, yeah, I got all the love you need. But if I'm going to go out there and take some hits for you, can you at least give me some tools, some tips, some tricks of the trade, maybe some new ways of understanding things because Can't really stand on the corner anymore and hand out a tract. People aren't listening to that. I want to do a good job. I want to stand strong. I want to fight the good fight. So let's talk about weapons and strategy. Jesus says, sure thing. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Huh? But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Salt? I'm headed into the darkest hour out there, and you give me salt? Yep. Jesus is Midwestern sometimes. Yep. Salt. Now, don't misunderstand Jesus here. He's not saying you aren't valuable, because we think about salt, it's like really common. It's like on every table, you know, little packets that they put in restaurants that you can throw away. But back then it wasn't so common. It was actually pretty valuable back then. Hard to get, hard to process. Roman soldiers sometimes were paid in salt. It's like, here is your payment, salt. It's where we get our word salary from. And it's why we say things like, are they worth their Salt. It was a valuable commodity. So there's something there he's saying about you, how he sees you and how he wants to utilize you. I absolutely love the message translation of these verses by the late Eugene Peterson, who recently graduated to heaven. And he said this, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. So God, I need tools. I need weapons. I need strategies. And he says, you're here to bring out the God flavors of the earth. You're here to bring out something in the hearts of people that has been rendered inactive by sin and brokenness. Did you know that the gospel fits the human heart at a spiritual DNA level? It's as if there's this perfect slot for God in the gospel. Our spiritual DNA is coded to connect only with the creator. Sin breaks it irreparably from the standpoint of human ability, though we try hard to fix it. Don't we? We try hard to put something else in there. So when the Lord starts moving in a heart, it begins to wake up to come back from the dead because the image of God is still there. It's just distorted. And I did a little reading on salt this week. And we, we know some of these things, but it's both a preservative, something that stops decay, but we all know it's also a flavor enhancer. There's something really cool in the science behind what is happening when salt is applied to something. Now, I won't pretend to be an expert on the science part here, other than to tell you it's powerful and yet subtle on whatever it gets applied to. Thanks to its chemical nature, salt has the ability to intensify agreeable tastes and diminish disagreeable ones. So put that in plain language: It can make something sweet, sweeter. Isn't that weird? It can block bitterness. It can make meat juicier. The best Thanksgiving turkeys are brined overnight. Come on. I mean, I'm getting hungry. We know this about salt. And isn't it weird that we know when something needs salt? We taste a food and we say, hmm, needs something. Wait, hmm, salt. You need salt? That's what this needs. I want you to picture Jesus as a master chef. He's trained at Le Cordon Bleu in Paris, France. And when it comes to creating food, he's an artist. If he owned a restaurant, you could never get in. Because not only does he make the best food, he created all the ingredients. (laughs) So he knows the best way to put them all together, to combine the flavors of herbs and spices, the savory, the sweet, the acid, and the heat. You can tell I've watched some cooking shows, but he is the iron chef. He cannot be beaten. He knows all the diners, drive-ins, and dives. Ha ha. He entered this world. Let me paint it in a different picture for you. In its darkness and decay, he became fully man. While being fully God, he lived the perfect life, the life you should have lived. He died the death you should have died, a sacrificial death for you. He conquered death. He ascended to his royal place next to the father. In other words, the table is set. The food has been purchased. The lamb has been slaughtered. And yes, I mean that lamb. And God is asking you to commune with him to be restored, to partake of his heavenly body, to come to him, to sit at the table, to be restored forever to his family. He sets up this plan, this mission, this calling for weak, broken, humble, poor in spirit, merciful, meek, peacemakers to be the key ingredient to deliver this invitation. The people that need to hear this message and this invitation, guess what? They don't get it. They don't know, they don't understand that they need to experience him. Their souls have a memory. Remember, we're coded to fit with him. They have a memory of his love, but it is tainted and darkened by sin. They have lost their spiritual taste buds. To them, God and Jesus and the spirit is the worst food ever. So Jesus, in his masterful iron chef ways, says this, Pass. The salt. Pass the salt. You mean you don't want to just go out there with a big blasting PA system and a, a horn and maybe some armies and tell people they better bow down to you or it's over? Nope, salt. You, if you follow Jesus, are the salt on his table. You're the salt on his table. You're his key ingredient. As I said before, it's subtle the way it works. No one salts a steak and says, wow, this is great salt. No, they say this steak is amazing. Who cooked it? Nobody says, where'd you get this salt? What kind of salt is this? I got to buy me this salt. It's invisible. It's subtle. But what does it do? It leads the person to think that the steak is amazing and potentially that the chef who made it is amazing. Why does Jesus start with salt? Why not a hammer? That you just go out there and pound on people. Why not a sword? Get out there and swing. It's not that we don't do this. We do. We think this is what he wants. Get out there and just yell at people and tell them how wrong they are, how they're going to burn, how they're going to hell, how they've rejected God. They better get things right. Why does he say salt first? Salt their hearts with my love, grace, and truth. Now, don't hear me saying that you never say the core truths of the gospel. Of course you do. Of course you tell the narrative that is from Genesis to Revelation, the narrative arc of Jesus Christ, his gospel before the foundation of the world. But how do you approach someone? What has God set up so that we can be effective And he says, salt. Once you put salt on food, can you see it? It's invisible. In fact, if you see it, is that going to be any good? No, it's going to be bad. (laughs) Too much salt. God says the right amount of salt though, boom. This tastes amazing. So in applying my limited reading on salt and thinking about it as a spiritual metaphor, followers of Jesus bring out the best in his creation we remind people who they once were it's nuanced it's patient it's loving but people start to remember and their spiritual taste buds start tasting again christian salt enhances the good suppresses the bitter brings flavor sweetness and carries the mission of taste and see that the lord is good how about this weird part about salt losing its saltiness? A lot of scholars think Jesus was speaking a little tongue in cheek here, which just means he was basically saying it's not even possible. Salt can't lose its saltiness. It's either salt or not. So you do the math there. If he's saying, if you're not salty, there's another question you should be asking. More important about your own identity and who you follow. When I think about saltiness, I think about Isaiah. Isaiah. This past week, I heard a story of one of our college students who went through a Culver's drive-thru with some of his friends. Man, when I go through Culver's drive-thru, you know what I want? I want my mixer, I want the fries, and I want to get out of Dodge. And it really bugs me that I go park in that little spot and wait for it. Isaiah chose to be salty and somehow found out that the girl that was helping him was on her third job of the day. How did he find that out? Well, he wasn't thinking so much about the food and saw this tired and weary girl doing this job. Then he finds out what her Venmo account is. Now, if you're older and I'm kind of in that middle range, but I know what Venmo is, but it's a way to send money to somebody because it wouldn't be appropriate. You hand it through the window. You know, you can't really do that at a Culver's, but he says, hey, what's your Venmo account? And according to his friends later sent her a very generous tip. That's salty. That's salty. And you may be saying, well, we should have just shared the whole gospel right there. Just open the Bible and right at the Culver's window. No, no. And we can see that Jesus sometimes approached things this way. But what might that do in her heart? How might that flavor her life to begin considering? Why did that guy do that? What was there? Okay, Lord, salt, huh? All right. What else you got in your arsenal, Jesus? There's a pretty big culture war going on out there. And so far I'm just salt (laughs) and that's fine. I'll learn that. But can you help me out a little more? Look at verse 14. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see, taste and see. They may see your good works and not go, wow, you're such an amazing light. Nope. Give glory to your father who is in heaven. Now we're talking light of the world, like the sun, right? Bright, burning, big, can't look at it for too long. Not quite. Salt is fine, I'm more of a burning sun kind of approach. Blast them with light, Lord. Mm. Let's listen to Eugene Peterson again and see if that's what he means. He says, you're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God's not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill, if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? No, I'm putting you here on a light stand. And now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine, keep open house, be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God. Let me say that again. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous father in heaven. So let's talk about that little light of yours. If you grew up in church, attended a summer camp or some VBS, you probably remember the song, this little light of mine, I'm gonna, the whole deal, don't let Satan it out. Nope. I'm going to let it shine. And I'll just tell you that the song has always been a kid's song for me. And I think indirectly the concept of shining light felt a little kid to me, like child stuff. I want to be out there blasting, Lord. Give me a gun, spiritual gun. I want to slay things for you. I want to be a warrior. And God says, here's your light. Here's your light. You know, there are other verses definitely out there about the weapons of our warfare, that they have power to tear down strongholds. But as we deal with people who don't know him, Jesus gives us the simple job of being a lamp that holds the light of Christ. Again, Truth bombs may eventually come and they should. You get people into the word, eventually understanding who Jesus is. They must know the story, but shine first. Let your light shine. Why can we be confident that we don't have to do all this work? Because he did it. The hard work, the battle on the cross, he defeated sin and death. He knocked it out cold. Your job is just to tell people to shine this light. So simple question, are you? shining it? Are you hiding it? When I think about light, I'm all about starlight, sunsets, sunrises, indirect ambient light, Edison bulbs, candlelight, firelight. Even in our homes, there's a reason we don't have floodlights on the living room wall. Why? Because it's like these lights in your face, there's a reason we don't hang up buzzing fluorescent lights in our bedrooms. Why? Because they're offensive. God says, here, shine. Jesus shows us how to do this. We look in the gospels in John chapter four with a Samaritan woman. He could have walked right up to her and blasted her with light and said, I know who you are. I know you've been sleeping with five guys. I know your sins. You better get right. I'm the light of the world. On your knees. Is that what he did? Nope. He walked up and said, hey, can I have a drink? Tore down so many barriers just in the way that he cared for her. Best lights are the lights that bring sight to an otherwise dark place. Remember, it's supposed to be dark out there, but it's a perfect place for a light. We're missing the point if we think the kind of light Jesus wants us to shine is a flashbang grenade. It's not what he wants. Told you about Isaiah when I think of salt. When I think about light, I'm constantly thinking about Steve and Mary who somehow have found a never-ending supply of oil from the Holy Spirit to be some of the most beautiful and gentle lights I've ever experienced in the body of Christ. Not blinding, not offensive, but almost Yankee candle like aroma of Jesus and a warm light to put next to you while you read a book. Now, neither one of those, that salt from Isaiah, that light from Stephen, Mary, it's not that they won't and don't share the truths and core of the gospel. It's just timing. Honestly, shows a lot about commitment and relationship. So it's dark out there. It's supposed to be Friday. Wasn't good Friday right away. Do you know that? It came later. It was bad Friday. (laughs) It was awful Friday. A recent song, An Elevation Worship, the lyrics said this, Friday's disappointment is Sunday's empty tomb. For the world right now, it's Friday and it's not good Friday. And they're looking out there and sarcastically, they're saying, Jesus, what are you talking about? about The the nice guy 2000 years ago who got killed for saying the things he said. Yeah, that's not going to cut it. We need serious reform. We need real transformation. It's Friday. But Friday's disappointment is Sunday's empty tomb. Did you know that the apostle Paul, I was just reading this also in my chair time this week, faced a mob and riots when he tried to speak the gospel. Hmm. Boy, that sounds familiar. A mob and riots and was beaten several times, almost within an inch of his life. Sign me up. <laughs> no. No. But did he stop being salty or hide his light? Nope. Did he change his tactics, start throwing flashbang grenades instead of beautifully inviting people into the wonders of Jesus? He did not. He was steady. We need to be as well. We must hold fast to the ways of the cross. I'm not confident in my saltiness or my ability to shine light, but I am filled by Jesus who is the original salt that came to bring back the God flavor to our lives. He is the light of the world who chases away the darkness. I'm confident of him. I can be salty because he is the source. I can shine because he is the source. And no matter what happens, and I don't think we're done with seeing stuff happen that's going to be hard. I don't at all. I think it's going to get difficult. No matter what happens, no matter what happens. Our hope, our future is secure. Either way, he wins. So this is our God appointed time to hit the beach. We must carry the weapons of the savior, a little salt and a little light because he's already won the war. Let's pray. We thank you for the upside down way that you spoke. Um, But God also, even as I listened this week and spent time with you thinking about these things, wrestling with my own fears, Lord, it's just a beautiful way that uh, your spirit reminds us of who we are and that you have accomplished everything that we need. God, that we can trust you, that we can go out there boldly. We don't have to change tactics. We don't have to add on to the gospel. You are enough. Lord, it isn't that on the cross, Jesus died and it covered almost everything. Nope. You died, you rose, and it covered everything, including the most difficult things that we are seeing out there. And so, Lord, we know we are the ones you've given this light to shine. Help us to be salty, Lord, help us to be beautifully shining your light. God, give us the courage, the way you did for Paul and so many others who have gone before us to be steady, to hold fast, to trust you. And will you minister to us now as we sing a couple more songs? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks.